It says that she is a gaunt, black-haired glamour ghoul who comes out through ominous drifting mists. Well, now, this is obviously not true because I don't believe in that sort of stuff, you know. And it says that she has a pet spider named Rolo, and I can't be, and she hates, you know how people exaggerate. She, um, she hates the sunlight, and uh, she's the ghostess with uh, more... Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Dee Simon. I'm the Uva host, Kate Rambo. Kate Rambo. Those tricks. D, asking me what my favorite song is. I am not falling for this prank, <laughs> but I do have a question for you. Why? Is it what my favorite song is? Nope. <laughs> Are you planning to put the hoe in Halloween this year? Every year I do that, baby. Every year. I mean, I do. I've always maintained that Halloween is an excuse for men to dress as women and to women to and for women to dress as sluts. Yeah, I never need an excuse to dress like a slut. I do it all year round. But do you, but I mean, on Halloween, do you guys do that? Do you go to your fancy dress parties on Halloween? Oh yeah, the naughtiness um, outfits and the like, sexy cat outfits come out for one night only. So, do you typically do a slutty outfit, or do you ever do the weird girl outfit? Because I know you showed me that you one time uh, just very very disrespectfully <laughs> went as uh, the Twin Towers. Love that uh, costume. Yep. With another, um, that was actually my last costume I ever made. With another reprobate, and you guys even had like the the, the planes going very distasteful. I was I was offended. But do you <laughs> typically go for the weird girl outfit, or do you go for the slutty Halloween? I've typically always gone outfit. for the I want to have blood on me. That is what I want. Yeah, on but Halloween. sexy. Like, a, are you a naughty you know naughty nurse covered in blood, or do you go as like? You know, I'm a blood bag. You know, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't do like the Jenna marbles, like I'm a box of tissues or whatever. I want to be like historical figures that everyone goes, who? And I'm covered in blood. So that is kind of the weird girl. As, yeah, I suppose it is weird girl. Yeah. Because that's the thing. There are two types of chicks on Halloween. There's the ones who do dress as slutty nurses or something. Or uh, the ones who kind of dress as like a Teletubby. You know? <laughs> Who you know goes as a Teletubby? Yeah, there's there's girls. I've had girlfriends. Like I remember, uh, like I had a girlfriend who was actually pretty sexy, and I think I can't remember. I think I went as like Beetlejuice, and she went as like the big blueberry chick from Willy Wonka, but just like as a big huge blueberry. And I was like, why Veruca Salt. You... She went as Veruca, Veruca Salt. Salt. Yeah, yeah, the blueberry chick. But I was just like, why, why, why? why? What, did you want her to go in, like, stockings and suspenders no, in a PVC Lydia, like night? sexy Lydia or something. Oh, she should have done that. She should have gone as, yeah, she should have gone as, she's Mr. Well, Trick. she's like, you You should go as Willy Wonka. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. No, Willy Wonka. We've already made this decision. Oh, well. The relationship didn't we. last very long. I was about to say, by we. Although you are Jewish, like Willy Wonka. That would have been my Gene one. Gene Wilder of, was Jewish. Yes, he, was he was very Jewish, as Jewish as the day is long. But, uh, you know, I have, I remember one time I went to a party, a Halloween party in San Francisco. And uh, there's people who listen to the podcast from back in the day would probably remember this episode. 
Wackily was like, I was thinking about going as a as a kids in the hall character. So Wackily recommended Cabbage Head. <laughs> like, do you I don't. It's a very obscure character, but it's um, Bruce McCullough played this like misogynistic cabbage guy had a cabbage head and he'd just be a real asshole to chicks and he had like a it's almost like a smoking jacket on and a cigar and he'd go up to women and just say really rude things and then when they would they would be like you're a horrible man he's like is it because of the cabbage on my head you know he'd blame it on the cabbage <laughs> that's not and much so, different from how you act in real life yeah I, no yeah. I, I didn't have to get into character believe me but so anyway i got a bunch of cabbage and i put like tape on it and put the hat the hat on and I remember thinking, like, this is a pretty funny, creative outfit. It's pretty original. Only two older men recognized <laughs> yeah, the outfit. Yeah, men. <laughs> just no one else. <laughs> and there were a lot of hot girls at this party, and they were just coming up to me being like, why, why do you have, like, a rotted cabbage hat? And I was just like, you'll never understand. It's a boy thing. It's a guy thing. Lady. I just remember Wackily was like, oh, you're going to be the hit of the party. Everyone's going to know this. <laughs> Wackily. Gonna, everyone's going to watch your picture taken. This is so such a great idea. Yeah, Wackily the king of cool. How <laughs> 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 you listen to him? I, went, I once forced an ex-boyfriend to go as a JFK and Jackie O, but it was like seconds after he'd been shot. And like, so obviously he looked really cool because we did loads of latex. It's like House of Yes. Yeah. yeah. And he had like, you know, half his skull missing. And he looked awesome. People just thought, he could just walked around and people were like, oh, he's like a zombie or something. Everyone was like, who are you? No he one just like a it? granny. I was like, let them see what they have done. Everyone was like, what? And I was like, come on. <laughs> Did I mean, did you Come actually on, look yes. like Jackie O, like wearing a similar dress? I bought like a pretty much replica suit and I had a, a, like my hair. I did my hair really short, although that fell down later on because I got really drunk. I just like pinned it up in a bob and I had like loads of like brains and blood matter on me. I thought we looked so cool standing next to each other. I had a little pillbox hat. I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm ready to be Jackie O. I'm shocked that people would know that. Do you think people are going to go as uh, as Boris Johnson? Why would anyone go as that clown? I just pictured because like Trump was like that was an outfit that a lot of people would wear. Trump. Stupid Trump mask and Trump hair and like. So I wonder if like people do that with Boris because Boris Johnson has a very unusual hairstyle. One of my favorite Halloween costumes is off Buffy with Seth Green, and he just has one of those like "Hello, my name is" sticker, and then it just he just writes "God." God. Yeah. Oh, God on Hello, the. Hello, uh... my name is God. I always Actually, that's, that's not a bad. Very just, clever... He'd wear like a normal outfit. Yeah, and just the sticker. That's the type of Halloween outfit I could get into. That's yeah. like a costume I could get into. Zero effort, but a good good reward. Do you have a slut costume, like the Halloween hoe type outfit already in mind for this year? I do. Oh, what are you going as? I won't say until after Halloween, duh. I'll have to wait and see the pictures. Yeah, I'll send you some pictures. I'll have to check that out. So when people think... Of Halloween hoes. I'd say most people think about Halloween hoes. The first one to come to mind would be Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Because she's, I mean, first of all, you know, she's still active. Second of all, she's got big, massive tits. And I think everybody would just first, when they think of the, a Halloween hoe, that's the first one that comes to mind. But she wasn't the first Halloween hoe. She was not. Definitely not the first Halloween hoe. You could say maybe the first was Morticia Adams, the comic strip version. Yeah, but, but she's she wasn't not exactly real. a hoe, and she's not real. And she wasn't a hoe. She was very in the original Charles Adams. She's very straight laced, really nice. She's not sex. Her and um, Gomez don't have this. Um, There's no sexual like sex appeal. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wouldn't say she was sexualized. You could almost say Theta Barra. Definitely. You know, she's like the OG vamp. 
Yeah, but she is. But I don't know if I can consider her a Halloween hostess. Wordplay. I would say if you, if in my opinion, the original, the first Halloween ho, would have to be Vampira. I agree. Myla Nurmi. Yeah, she's rocking. So we're gonna talk today about the life of Myla Nurmi. Um, actually, I think it's kind of a tragic life, in, in a sense. But just also just a very uh, fascinating story, and then also how her, I guess, life sort of intersected with Elvira. Yeah. And uh, who, I guess it's kind of like, you know, just two different women who were hostesses of the night. Halloween hostesses. I want to be a hostess of the night. <laughs> um. So, uh, Kate Rambo, why don't you tell us about uh, Vampira? Yeah. You know, Dee, well, we're talking about Vampira. It's really hard to, like, just put into a context of, like, how important she is in a popular culture sense. So it's like she she is Charles Adams Morticia brought to life. She's the first queen of ghoul. Queen of ghoul. ghoul. And she's portrayed by the Finnish pinup model, um, Myla Nurmi, who was an actress. She was a beatnik, best friend to like tragic figures like James Dean and Elvis Presley and Liberace and Brando. She's the original goth vampire queen she's also the first original ghoulie tv host and she had a 17 inch waist yeah fuck me just a stunning a stunning person and yeah you're right because at the time the i think like mid 50s they started doing these like horror hosts yeah i'll get definitely get yeah horror was becoming a thing but she was the first one there was not really, nothing before Yeah, there's no one quite like Myla Nurmi. I don't think there ever will be. There's a great quote by her where she said, I never had an invitation to a Halloween party when I was a child. I found that as vampire, I was Halloween. <laughs> so Myla, Elizabeth Nurmi, she was born on December the 11th, 1992. So she's a Sagittarius. Not 1992. Oh, not 1992. <laughs> <laughs> well, 19, she must have been like what? 19... Maybe it's like 1922. Yeah, probably 1922 yeah, if you think about whatever. it. Whatever. No one's going to do the maths. <laughs> she was... So like Sagittarians, especially female Sagittarians, uh, it's a great sign to have. She's very assertive. You're direct. They usually get the best out of life, but also the worst because they definitely have like a special blend of honesty. They'll suffer no fucking fools. They live life on their own terms and no one could tell them what to do. So that could be why later on she kind of, uh, you know, she made her own look. They'll do everything and anything first. They're like leaders of the pack. Definitely. I think they set, they're the trendsetter. Fuck yeah. But also very stubborn. Yes. Yeah. And set in their ways. <laughs> so um, Myla's very proud of her Finnish roots, straight out of her father's um, Finnish, and her mother was an American of Finnish, def- of, uh, Finnish descent. So there's like lots of like really cool stories about her birth, as there is for like chicks like this who like make up stories about, you know. Well, I'm sure there's a mythology yeah. behind where Myla Nermi came from, especially after... You know, she created this character. Of course. But it's generally accepted that she was born in Gloucester, Massachusetts. But the family, they relocated to Astoria in Oregon, which at the time had a massive, huge Finnish community. Hmm, So I didn't know that. But that could explain why some of the Oregon foods are Scandinavian. You know, it's weird, though, in uh, California and the Pacific, like the Pacific Northwest, but also as you drive towards central California, there's a, what the fuck's the name of that town? There's a town there 
um, God, it's a little Danish community. Oh, I've heard about this town. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, it's a very boring town. I've been there. It's right, kind of right near the uh, the Neverland Ranch. Yeah. Solvang. Solvang. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a, it's a tiny little town, but it's all Danish. And for some reason, all these Danish people came to this one area of California and just settled there. So, I mean, it makes sense that Finnish people could have made it all the way. You know, I love the west. fact that when people emigrate, they're like, yes, we're going to emigrate to a different country. But shall we all just live in one community in this different <laughs> country together? Well, yes. It's so vague. Like, you can go there and they, they have, like, all these, like, Danish delicacies and desserts and stuff like that. that you can pastries. only get in yeah, pastries yeah. that you can only get in Solvang. Yeah. So she was born in 1922 because she rarely spoke of her youth or the fact that they grew. she grew up surviving the Great Depression. Mm. So her free-spirited ways, they often put her at odds with her very level-headed mother. Um, Her mother was frustrated with her daughter's fantasy life, and she once said to her, you are just Elizabeth Nermy, and you work at the fish cannery. She's like, fuck you, mom. That's really fucking harsh. Shatter her dreams. Yeah. So... You know, Myla's gorgeous and she's very headstrong. So in 1940, when she was virtually penniless, you know, she'd been saving up her money from the fish cannery. She headed for the lights of Tinseltown like a lot of young people do. But she found a barren wasteland and she headed for New York, which was com- not atypical for the time. It ha- like, you know, James Dean moved to Los Angeles and then he went and got yeah, his about feet to wet. Say, I mean... 19- Marilyn Monroe did the same thing. Yeah, 1940, Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think much was going on. Well, even like Brando did the same. You would go to Los Angeles, you would kind of meet producers, and then you would go and perfect your craft on Broadway. Broadway, yeah. Yeah. And then go back. A lot of them, oftentimes, they returned. Yes. Yeah, so it was around this time in Hollywood, just before she was to move to New York, that she met Orson Welles. She had an affair with Orson Welles. Um, he was married to Rita Hayworth at the time. And because Myla's just starting out, she got pregnant and then she gave birth to the child, gave it up for adoption. What a hussy. Yeah, I've met, um, I've, I've met, I've looked into that and her, their son, he's still alive. He became a lawyer, but he's very hush hush on the internet. There's no presence. I wonder if he looks like Orson. How, how did she, was she work, was Orson like a playwright at the time? Like Orson Welles? Like how did she come across that guy probably just doing the rounds in like 1940s i mean awesome was a shagger and so was rita oh, yeah. hayworth yeah. too so their marriage was not very long remember that uh that advertisement he did for what was that liquor oh seen? my god yeah it's <laughs> on youtube wasted. yo he's absolutely <laughs> off his box it's like the drunkest man you've ever seen it's hilarious yeah it's great so she moves to New York. She's she's given up this baby for adoption, which is I think is very noble of her. Back then, they were all having like backdoor yeah. backdoor backyard abortions. So like, good for her for fucking going for it. It's a, probably a very traumatic thing that. So she's she started to become a pinup model because she's fucking gorgeous. So there was um Alberto Vargas who has created some of the most beautiful drawings of women. The Bernard of Hollywood and most one of my favorites, Man Ray. Man Ray, yeah. yeah. Legend. She also became a Broadway star. She appeared in countless plays. Apparently, Mae West saw her face and her waist just once, and she fired her from a production of Catherine <laughs> Was Great because she was obviously being upstaged by how be- this beautiful Myla. That reminds me of a really good story about Elizabeth Taylor and Sharon Tate. So Sharon Tate was hanging out on one of Elizabeth Taylor's sets, and Elizabeth was like, I wanted to get her, get her off the set. I don't want her hanging around. 
So Deborah Tate, who's Sharon Tate's sister, she once asked Elizabeth if this was true or not. And Elizabeth like shot back with like, of course it's true. Have you ever seen your sister? <laughs> what, did, what did Deborah Tate look like? Deborah Tate's pretty too. Oh, She's not as like... No Sharon Tate? No, well, who is? <laughs> Come on. She was also in chorus lines, like uh, in chorus lines with like the exquisite Lily St. Sir, who was beyond beautiful herself. And yeah, she was a smash hit on Broadway. So she gained attention and fans. And she was in um, a show called The Midnight Show Spook Scandal. And it was here where she would perfect her famous scream. She would fake, faint. She would lay in a coffin. And she just like seductively skulked about a mock cemetery. That sounds like a great job to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, she was that was kind of her trademark was that scream, that shriek she would do as she came out of the mist. Yeah, it's hard to do that. Uh, It's interesting. So, Midnight Show Spook Scandals was like a Broadway play, like a Broadway musical or something. Yeah. Oh wow! So that's kind of where she started perfecting this goth character. Yeah, I think this is where the bones of it came to came to be. So, in 1954, she's 31. She, you know, she was a nightclub coat check attendant and she was also a necktie painter to keep the, you know, you got to pay those bills, D. Simon. She attended a Hollywood party with her husband at the time, who is actor-writer Dean uh, Reisner. So at this point, she had moved back to yeah. L.A. I think you would still you would still have your agent and you would so go like back. And, yeah, but you were mainly, because like Broadway plays only run for a certain amount of time, don't they? And then yeah. you would move on. And then probably if you, you know, became a hit on Broadway, then you were probably offered, you know, different roles in uh, Hollywood. So you're yeah, probably back exactly. and forth. So when she went to this Hollywood um, party, it was like a fancy dress party day. You know what that means now. I do. <laughs> so Familiar she, with the term. <laughs> she made her own, like, kind of vampire costume. And it, it, originally it was inspired by the cartoons of Charles Adams. She just made it out of fabric scraps. So she hit a nerve with um, the television producer Hunt Stromberg Jr. It's a great name. Yeah, it was very American. Because he spent months after this thinking about her, about this woman he'd seen dressed as Morticia. And he wanted to hire her to host monster movies for the Los Angeles television station KABC TV. Well, she was, I mean, she was very inspired definitely by Charles Adams. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk know, about Adam's who family thing. But also, I mean, her. she had other inspirations as well, like that Ibarra. Oh, yeah. I've got a list of people coming. So before we get into how she created this character, I'm just going to tell you like a little bit about like what was actually happening in America at the time. So I can set the scene for you, D, all right? So the first electronic television had been invented in 1927, and by the mid-50s, it was one of the most popular products. At the start of the decade, there were about 3 million TV owners, and by the end of it, there were 55 million TV owners watching shows from 530 stations. So television was booming. The average price of TV sets it dropped from about $500 in 1949 to 200 in 1953, it's still expensive. That's about two grand in today's yeah, money. Yeah, I was about to say, even $200 still expensive. I mean, they're, they're fucking massive, too. Yeah. And yeah. and black and white, not even color yet. I mean, you remember these days. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I remember the uh, the talking box. So whilst Rick and Lucy were still sleeping in separate beds, stations across the U.S., they were buying up like horror movie packages, and they were sold in packages called shock packages, 52 movies, that's what you got. You got one for every week of the year. So every local station in every state 
every person of a certain age will remember their like shock hostess. One of the most famous is uh, John Zachary. He set the bar for them in 1957 with his shock theater in New York City, which is still very famous. But Vampira came first. The Vampira show, it premiered on May the 1st, 1954, and television would never be the same. We're at the time, were there other female horror hosts? There was no so one. She was the only one. So there, there was were, no male so there... or female. No, it was okay, just but Vampira. I mean, around that time after she started, were there other female horror hosts, or was it all male and she was there the was, only female? There was no one. There was no, only I'm after Vamp- she oh, started. after, Vampira, after Vampira. Yeah, then there was, but the, before Vampira. But there were there female. Was no one. There were female hosts as well after. Oh Vampira? yeah, there was female and male. Oh, okay, hosts. even in the 50s. Yeah, All but right. it was mainly males. So her husband invented the name of Vampire, but she immediately got to work on creating this character. So this is a quote from Myla. I started by thinking what people said was inevitable, that being sex, death, and taxes. Hunt wanted a vampire, so then I thought, what about a sexy vampire? Adams was flat-chested, barefoot, mute, certainly wasn't that. I could be a sexy vampire pondering death in all sorts of crazy and urbane ways. The taxes, I'd leave those up to the Republicans. She's a a character like. So she described the recipe for her look as being one part Greta Garbo, two parts each of the Dragon Lady, the Evil Queen and Faye DeBara, and three parts Norma Desmond and four parts Bizarre Magazine. So you know the Evil Queen from Snow White? Oh, yeah, yeah. That is definitely... actually based on Myla Nermi. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. interesting. She, is, she doesn't mention Morticia Adams. I think because she had taken elements of Morticia, but this was, she wasn't a, a major but maybe player the to inspiration her. for the look, yeah. Yeah. So to exaggerate her, we were talking about her waist, her 17-inch waist. She insane. A- she actually strapped her midsection with a tightly bound rubber inner tube, so that gave her, like, those hips. Those hips don't lie, baby. Her measurements, they were advertised as 38, 17, 36. A black Ooh. patent leather belt that was cinched around her waist, so it went several inches smaller. And it was about the circumference of a 45 RPM record. Bloody hell, mate. So she turned the dress backwards. So where had it been zippered, low-cut back of the ball costume was now the front of the vampire dress. For structure, she stitched a wire hanger into the bodice to support the plunging neckline. She shortened the sleeves. She reattached them with like tatters. She slit the skirt as far as like the 1950s modesty <laughs> would let you. And uh, then she adjusted the seams to accommodate her waist cincher, push-up dra- bra, her bust and her hip hip pads. Well, you know, the plunging neckline probably was controversial. Oh, totally. Especially at that time, in the mid-50s. Yeah. It like blew people's minds. Yeah. So her long fingernails, which are very, very noticeable, she you, she made them by cutting three-inch pieces from plastic food containers. She would boil them to soft, soften them so she could shape them. And then, you know, she would glue them to her nails. But because they were really troublesome and they fell off all the time, eventually she just bought a pair of, like, flesh-toned gloves and just glued them to that. <laughs> she has a black wig perfectly dark arched eyebrows dark lipstick and um that voice it all completed the look of the empire (laughs) so there is actually very little existing footage of a show because it was aired live and it was only aired in southern california 
but what is left does reflect her legacy. It's kind of the template for the traditional horror host. It's a mix of her dark macabre humor. So she would used to do like a little cocktail hour in which she mixed drinks and poetry such as, here's to zombies and the living dead. May you find one beneath your bed. They drink blood. You should too. Hemoglobin is the drink for you. <laughs> I love her life. It's kind of intelligent though. It's yeah. Like intelligent so verse. It's like, you know, Tales from the Crypt could not have happened without this. No, I mean, she's the, uh, the original horror hostess. Yeah. And so we have a clip here of uh, the cocktail clip, which is one of the only pieces of footage from her show. That I, I mean, I looked, and there, there's documentaries about her that found other footage, but the only footage I could really find online was this one clip of her talking about cocktails. Yeah. What I need is a vampire cocktail to settle my nerves. It'll not only settle them, it will petrify. Mmm. A vampire cocktail. You like it? It hates you. I've had several letters asking whether olives or cherries should be used in making my cocktail. Well, actually, neither is necessary. Since they'd only disintegrate upon being put into the cocktail. However, if you want to use some garnish, you can drop in an eyeball. If you happen to have an extra one around the house. So yeah, that was fun. As well as a slew of uh, baby ghouls like Lux Interior who were glued to their screens. Um, there was a, a small transvestite director by the name of Edward Jr. who was also paying attention along with James Dean. So, you know, James Dean had a, a really special relationship with Myla. Um, they were just best buddies. And she said about Jimmy's sexuality that Jimmy was primarily heterosexual, but he used men sexually to get ahead. And if he saw someone he liked, he liked them. More often it was women, but maybe that was because he never really got the really pretty girls before. He always got the ugly leftovers that nobody wanted. How does that make any sense? You think James, James Dean, Dean? Oh my God, he's so beautiful. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, no, I I had read though that he was uh, gay, so I didn't know if. He's bisexual, for sure. He's definitely bi. Well, I mean, a lot of people were at the time. I know he's closeted about that aspect. So were, were he and Mila an item? Like, did they hook up? I think there was, like, a very deep love there. The same with Eartha Kit. It wasn't a case of it's a, a sexual relationship where we're together. I think, like, they were just, like, soulmates. But you don't think they ever shagged? Maybe they did, but I don't think it was, like, that part of what bonded them together i think what bonded them together is that they're outsiders they're weirdos in a and they weren't playing the hollywood game either jimmy jimmy dean didn't play a hollywood game and neither does neither did myla we'll definitely find out about how she shunned hollywood (laughs) but if you want to know more about james dean life the john gilmore he wrote a great book about james dean you can check that out so they would often go cruising on late night drives together. They would tell morbid stories to one to to each other because James Dean was obsessed with death. Her less so, but she actually spoke to him um, for the last time on the phone the night before he died. Did, didn't you do James Dean this week on Overkill? I did. Yeah. Uh, the curse of, of James, James Dean. Dean. Yeah. So she took to wearing vampire drag. Whenever she left the house, she would rent like funeral looking, a funeral looking black packard convertible for a jaunt mm. around town. I love that attention to detail. She became a celebrity in the nightclubs and the jazz clubs of L.A. 
Liberace, Marlon Brando, Elvis Presley, all were her friends and all would pay her bills up until she died. I'm thinking all she probably did. didn't hook up with Liberace. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Elvis, though, probably for sure. Oh, yeah, I reckon Elvis, definitely. There's that great picture of Elvis where he's, like, fake strangling her. I'll show you. I'll send you it. So this is all just within eight months as well. Like Wow, her character blew up. Yeah. It was, like... And her, herself, her character is bigger than all the trash movies that the, lo- the the show was actually promoting on the network. Life magazine actually did a creature feature on uh, Mela and WABC. They wanted to have full ownership of the vampire character, but she would simply not sign over her look or her character to the network. And then that was it. It was all over. That show business, baby. So that that's, I mean, it's definitely, you know... Uh, led to her downfall. Um, but, I mean, the fact that she was, like, willing to stand up to a network at that time. A woman. Right. A woman, no less. I yeah. mean, she's like, I mean, I bet you no one's ever done that. Well, at this at the, time. At, in the 19, like 1954? At this time, this is also when Marilyn Monroe was starting her own production company, and they all laughed at her. Even yeah. though Marilyn Monroe was, like, big box office news, they were like, a woman? Being yeah, their own producer. And I bet you they were stunned that a woman would have the audacity to be like, no, this is my character, and I want the trademark. I want I want the rights. I own this character. Oh, completely. Sure they were shocked. But, I mean, it definitely led to, uh, you know, her uh, a short-lived career, I guess, as, as Vampire. It was only like a couple, like not even two years, right? Like a year? Eight months. Yeah, less than a it. year. And so, but during this time, though, I mean, she had a pretty tumultuous life. Yeah. You know, I mean, she was a, you know, she blew up as this macabre curiosity, but the fascination kind of quickly, I would say, like faltered because I like, get American 1950, so conservative, you know, and, and people probably were shocked at, first of all, her ghoulish presence, but also, I mean, her sexualized character. You know, I mean, no one's ever seen anything like that. Um, and then I read that she was like, after she stood up to ABC, she was blackballed. By a lot of the uh, the studios. Oh, I bet she was. And then she was publicly denounced in causing James Dean's death by cursing him in a gossip column. If it, what was the deal? No, with that? that's the other way round. So Jimmy, um, so Hedda Hopper, people who know anything about old Hollywood will know Hedda Hopper. She was the gossip columnist at the time, and she had been asking Jimmy about why are you hanging around with like Myla Nermy, like what is going on there? Oh. And he said, "Oh, she's such a weirdo. I don't. I like. I, she's not a friend of mine." And was mean to her, but she. I think she was hurt about that. But then she realized that it was just Hedda being Did a dick. Did she exaggerate what he? What he? What yeah, he, he was said? probably like saying, yeah, she's a weirdo. But in the way you would about your mates and be like, she's a weirdo just like me. And then Hedda yeah. was like, this is great copy. Twisted the words. And exactly. Then, uh, wow. And so did that cause cause a rift? It was them? a bit a rift. But then they did, like I said, she was one of the last people to ever speak to him. She spoke to him the day before he died. So, so they, they had to like Yeah, uh, they reconcile. had, you know, they kissed and yeah. made up. So she was actually, in 1954, she was nominated for an Emmy Award for Most Outstanding Female Personality. And she kind of returned to films with uh, the John Barrymore Too Much Too Soon in 59. But it was in 59, 58, sorry, but it was in 59 that a film was to immortalize her. And in this film, she doesn't even speak a single line. <laughs> People who have seen the Tim Burton film know what's coming. So it was actually filmed in 56, and Plan 9 from Outer Space was released in 1959. She said this about the film. 
At the time, I thought it was horrible. I knew immediately I'd be committing professional suicide, but I thought, what choice do I have? Somehow I seemed to be dead already. Why, why was she so against taking this role? I mean, was she friends with Edward? I think Edward kind of... I think she's got some nice things to say about him because, like, in 56, the vampire show had was just over. Her fortunes had drastically changed. She was currently on $13 a week unemployment insurance. And Edward is like, hey, here's $200 and a chance to be in my picture. So she originally said about Edward Jr., I just thought he was a low-born idiot with no talent at all. He's very opinionated. <laughs> I know. Woman. I love her. I would love to talk to her. He was just a brazen, foolish idiot. You know, I thought he was just a goon, but I wasn't looking squarely. I just cast a glance and I just dismissed him with a thought, which is kind of snobbish and foolish of me. But then over the years, as I've mellowed and grown a little more sensible, sensible I've begun to look at this man after, after the fact, and I thought, incredible what he managed to achieve without any help and the obstacles that he managed to overcome. Somehow it's miraculous. It's more than just persistence. Yes, he had a lot of persistence, that's for sure. But he also had a gilded karma that all of this was intended to be, which I think is a great sum up of Edward and his career. Yeah, I would say so too. But I mean, it's, it's interesting how she thought it was like beneath her. Yeah, but well, it is. Well, it's a Z-grade feature. Completely, you know? But yeah. I mean, it became, but it had changed. It achieved that cult status, which she has as well. Yeah. So the reason her role had no dialogue was because she refused to speak the lines. And she said, I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but my God, I could not say those words. I wish I had had them today, because, but I threw them away. Do you know what jewels those lines must have been? I tried to say them, but I curdled my own blood. They were awful. Oh, my God. And I bet they were. Do you imagine trying terrible. to direct her? <laughs> The so worst. this film has now gone down in absolute infamy. I mentioned the Tim Burton film. You know, there's bands like The Damned who've written songs mm. about it. The Misfits have songs. Um, Vampira. Yeah, Mark about Vampira yeah. and about this fucking film. But by 1962, she was installed in Linonium. Linoleum. Linoleum. No, and she was like a cleaner, literally yeah. installing linoleum in people's uh, kitchens. Yeah, and she was working in a restaurant in exchange for food. But, you know, she was determined. She's got that Sagittarian spirit. She eventually scraped together enough funds and she opened a small shop, a store, and she named it Vampira's Attic, where she sold handmade jewelry. I would love to get my hands on some jewelry oh that God. she'd made. You'll never find that. No, and she would go to like the local graveyard and she would make rubbings of like movie star gravestones. This building, sadly, <laughs> this this business sadly was not a success. And uh, so she was forced out, leaving her once again in dire financial straits. And she was relying on friends for food and other necessities. And she lived in half of a garage where she slept on the floor, basically. This is what this is why I said earlier how it's just kind of a tragic story. I mean, literally, like after she had you know this this uh, cameo kind of in in uh, Plan Nine, but she'd been blacklisted. Yeah. And, and like, I don't think she was getting many job options. I mean, the show was canceled. Uh, Hollywood pretty much had just forgotten about her. But the fact of the matter is, she was a still a cult icon. And she was plagued by obsessive and abusive fans. Like, um, I read they would harass her, uh, constantly leave her disturbing and satanic messages. And even worse, literal offerings. Like, she was, like a, she was a, Milo Nurmi was a, was a animal lover. 
and was a huge proponent of animal rights. Fanatics would kill animals and leave them on her doorstep just to harass her. See, all of that before sounds like some of the messages I get from the men's on <laughs> the sick and wrong, wrong fans. Gr- yeah, <laughs> but please don't be sending me animals unless it's taxidermy, in which case that's fine. Um, one of the uh, the worst incidents, though, with her obsessive fans was a guy, um, a huge fan, broke into her home, assaulted her, and Shit. kept her captive for hours. And she even tried to escape, and the guy ended up getting her, bringing her back in there, um, and uh, and and locking her in her in her home, in her own home. And when she reported the attack, newspapers like treated it as a joke. Oh shit! Like they, she couldn't escape the legacy, you know, this character of Vampira, and they just thought it was funny. Yeah. You know, so Poor during Milo. this time, like, not only does, is she being, you know, plagued by obsessive fans, uh, literally assaulted by uh, these psychotic people. She was living in poverty. Yeah. You know? And uh, she suffered. That's the thing with her. She created this character. She loved this character. This character that she created was, I mean, it was basically her, her child, child. Yeah. in a sense. It's odd. But she suffered so much for this character that she felt so much pride and love towards. I know. And I, I, A lot I of lo- sacrifice. I love that for her. So... She's so, gone through all this fucking shit. But this is like, okay, so 1962 was when yeah. Vampire's Attic. So now two decades, basically. Passed. Yeah. We've heard living like this and making ends meet. So now we're in 1981, and um, executives from um, the LA TV show KHJ-TV, they approached um, Myla about reviving the vampire show because, you know, her, her star is still shining. People haven't forgotten about her. Well, and plus they, they originally put the show on. Yeah. So uh, some producers like, we got to do another horror show. Well, what about the vampire show? Yeah, bring her back. We yeah. remember her. And so it's um, she, to her, it's like her troubles are kind of coming to an end. You know, there's a, a, an escape here. She was to consult on the new show, providing materials from the original program, such as like set photos and scripts. And under her agreement, she would serve as the associate producer and she would do occasional guest appearances as the new vampire's mother. So she's not coming back as a vampire. She's just going to be like the consultant and coming on to talk. Well, I mean, like, to do clearly bits. she's too old. Yeah. Vampire. Although, if you think about it, she was so very beautiful. She's gorgeous up until her dying day. And you think with that character, she'd kind of be immortal in a sense. But I think producers, Hollywood, sleazy, they want someone young. Yeah, they want sexy. someone with jugs, maybe. And think about the 80s. This oh, is when yeah. like every film had to have a titty scene in it. I miss know? those days. <laughs> I do. So, I mean, I can see that, but I bet you that definitely uh, bruised her ego a bit. Well, maybe, but maybe she was happy to just take a behind-the-scenes role yeah. and just have money. But also, I mean, being a... I read, actually, an executive producer, not an associate. Um, but, uh, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But she would have had a credit. Yeah. And then she would have been been uh, you know able to receive royalties. Yeah. And this is a life-changing opportunity. Here. It's what you want. Yeah. She was to have immediate problems, though. And it was uh, immediate with the actress that they picked to portray the new vampire. So she filed a $10 million lawsuit claiming there is no Elvira, only vampire. The case was actually eventually dismissed, but up until her dying day, um, she died by natural causes at the age of 85 on January the 10th, 2008. She would curse the name Cassandra Peterson. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so this is the moment that we're going to talk about Elvira, but I want to reiterate, it's Nerby's life had a regrettably tragic end. I don't think it had to. 
I think that I don't think it had to have ended that way. She could have licensed the character to the studio and been like, fuck you, and lived out her days as a very wealthy woman with royalty checks. Plus, they would have went with this character. Elvira merchandised the whole the merchandised everything. So she would have been merchandising Vampira, which Vampira would have made more money off of that. But instead, she chose not to compromise her integrity. And she tried to wage like a pointless battle in court. I mean, personally, I think there's a portion of her being rather bitter that they were passed, you know, she's being forced to pass on the mantle to a younger hostess. See, I feel a bit differently. I think with there's you. an element of that. I feel that um, I really like her headstrong spirit, and I can totally see in her mind that to her, because we're obviously we're going to talk about who Elvira is and what Elvira represents. To me, Vampira is art. And what she has created set the stage for people to copy this art. And, you know, this is somebody who's modeled for Man Ray. This is somebody who's hung out with James Dean, Marlon Brando, Elvis Presley. I can see why she feels this way. And she doesn't want to give up her art. And she doesn't have to just but to make money. It, she didn't I, play the Hollywood game like you're thinking that, she did. I think that's true. But I think there's an element of her being bitter, having on to pass this same character, this creation she had, to this younger woman, this younger, you know, also equally beautiful woman. And in the crazy, the, the, odd, the odd thing, I guess the irony, is they're both very similar, very similar backgrounds. Okay, well, you know? tell us. Yeah, so Elvira here, Cassandra Peterson, uh, was born in Manhattan, Kansas, September 15th, 1951. Um, Virgo. I was in Virgo. Um, an interesting fact about her is when she was a toddler, she was scalded by boiling water. She was trying to, uh, she was a kid, she was like two or three, and she tried to pull a boiling uh, a pot kettle? down. No, yeah, a pot a of pot. Easter eggs. <gasps> and it got all over um, and it burned her skin. Over 35% of her body Shit. was scarred. And so we, she actually was in the hospital for three months and she had, had to have skin grafts. And as a result, I mean, she was bullied. Like, mercilessly as a kid. I never knew that about her. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting, too, I mean, I think because of the bullying, because of the teasing and all this, she kind of developed this comedic yeah, type of uh, totally. you know, attitude to kind of cope with it. Um, but that dress that she wears, also a slinky black dress, but much more slutty than Vampyra. <laughs> um, on purpose, though, with a plunging neckline, um, you know, clinched tight at the waist of the belt and slit high on the thighs, Fits her sexy persona, but designed specifically to cover the scarring. That's amazing. I never would have known she was. I, when I was doing my research, I was like, I had no idea. So about is it that. like her arms and her shoulders and, and like thighs. her back yeah, and her thighs? Her wow. Yeah. So you never would see that. Um, so she uh, became obsessed with horror kind of at an early age due to one of her cousins who took her to see uh, Vincent Price's House on Haunted Hill. Oh, classic. Yeah. And uh, Vincent Price became her hero. She met him later on. Um, and she went through like all of his uh, Hammer Horror, you know, all, the, all of his films and moved on to Hammer Horror and then uh, Monsters of Filmland and all that. And, uh, you know, later on when she came out with her own show, Elvira's Haunted Hills, it was dedicated as, a, as an homage to Vincent Price. Um, and she claims that Elvira, you know, was uh, influenced by kind of a cross between Vincent Price and actress Mae West. Oh, Mae. There's a connection. Yeah, Mae who hated uh, Marla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, her career kind of started. She so she, when she was growing up in man in uh, Manhattan, Kansas, uh, she was working at a go-go bar. Oh, I love as it. As a drag king. Oh wow, which is weird. That's revolutionary for yeah, the time. A, I didn't at realize a gay, at a at a like a gay bar. I didn't realize drag king, queen. Oh, well, I suppose they definitely could do go back that. But then um, uh, she was inspired by uh, Anne Margaret in the film *Viva Las Vegas*, and she went to Vegas with her parents during high school. 
and they went and saw like a live showgirl show. And when she was there, production staff noticed her. And she was only 17 years old, but they convinced her parents to let her sign a contract. Oh, right there so she and then. she work there, yeah. Jesus. At the Dunes. So immediately after graduating high school, um, she went straight straight back to Vegas, and she became a showgirl in uh, Frederick uh, Apcar's pioneering Viva Les Girls at the Dunes. He made documentaries about that. And it was at the Dunes. Yep. Also is where Elvis Presley was working. Yeah, he had another a whole connection seat. to Myla. The whole top floor the, of the Dunes belonged to Elvis. Yeah, the entire Elvis. top uh, top yeah. floor. And uh, so there's a great story that um, she writes in her memoir. But um, she was in Vegas. She met Elvis, and uh, they I guess he had like a big party. So Elvis wouldn't go out. No, like, he wasn't going out to bars or hanging at the casino. He had an entire floor of the International Hotel that he just kind of like hung out at, and uh, he would just let the girl. Be like, bring them all up. Bring them all up. Yeah. And they would just have a big, massive party. Yeah. And she said that he's just always surrounded by handlers, so it's kind of hard to get close unless he wants to talk to you. And he singled her out. Even though she's like 17. Who cares, though? You'd be like, Elvis. Well, I think he had a thing for the young girls. Oh, well, that's what they said. How old was Priscilla? Uh, When they got married, Priscilla was 23. Yeah, but when did they start dating? Well, technically started dating when she was 18. She was young. She was young, yes, we he, all he know liked this, the but we're not going to get into this. <laughs> not on this show, not here, not now, not with me. So she spent the night with Elvis. Don't really know for sure what oh exactly God, happened. Oh, my God, banging him. Come on, you're going to bang him. I'm sure. I, I would not be surprised if Elvira's a bit of a, bit of a star fucker. Um, especially, I mean, she's just kind of starting her career. Elvis Presley. What I mean, girl wouldn't? Yeah. Be uh, spreading but this their legs is, for I mean, him. This is 70s Elvis, who I think definitely had trouble... Yeah, this would have been out. probably what, like uh, early 70s, probably late 60s. Oh, when he was so handsome. Yeah. He was so handsome in the early 70s. But uh, Elvis, spending time with her, um, kind of lectured her. He's like, let me tell you, Vegas is no place for a young girl like you. You need to get the hell out of here. You don't want to stay here and be like all these other girls and end up in your 30s and doing God knows what or just working at a blackjack table. Good advice. Yeah, he said, if you really want to be in showbiz, you got to get out of this town. And she and she was just kind of shocked. She's like, "But I love living here." And he's like, "No, you sang with me. You got a great voice. You should get voice lessons. Go into singing. When you're 24, 25, you're gonna be too old to dance. You need to start thinking about a different career path if you want to stay in show." But he's a guidance counselor. This is the king <laughs> the telling king. you what to do about how to have a long career in Hollywood. You're gonna listen to the king. So she ended up uh, she ended up moving to, to Hollywood and uh, getting a few uh, roles here and there. She was in uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, right. James Bond. We're just talking about Bond on the outtakes. Yeah, we're talking about Bond on the yeah. outtakes. Um, she played a topless dancer in the film The Working Girls. Came out in 74. Um, this is odd, too, which I never knew about this. And I found this on Wikipedia. But uh, she posed for the cover of Tom Waits' album uh, Small Change. Oh, I didn't know that was her. You wouldn't recognize her because she's a redhead. Yeah, I, wouldn't, I didn't yeah. know that was her either. Uh, in the early 70s, she moved to Italy and uh, became a lead singer of uh, uh, two Italian rock bands. Um, the Snails and one called the Eyed Latins 80, which I've never heard of. I'd look them up. I can find anything. I bet they're like kill by death bands where if you want to buy like their EPs, you're oh, you looking at dropping uh, 600 quid for each type bands. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. Very rare. Uh, but she also in Italy, um, when she's working at like this cafe. She was introduced to a film director by the name of Federico Fellini. Oh, by the name of. <laughs> yeah, just, just this little guy. Just this guy you might have heard of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she actually ended up getting a small role in the film Roma. Oh, wow. Yeah, it came out in 1972. Um, she soon returned back to the United States, and uh, she joined the uh, the 
famous LA uh, improv group, uh, the Groundlings. And if you think of Groundlings, that's where like Pee Wee Herman, Phil Hartman, um, Phil Hartman, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were so many people, especially at that time. And it was in the Groundlings where she created this Valley Girl type character, upon whom later the Elvira persona would be uh, would be based. Um, also during this time, she auditioned for Ginger Grant in Gilligan's Island. Oh, because she was a redhead. That, w- that yeah. would have been so different if she had gone This that. is right before KHJ ended up uh, giving her the, uh, the horror host position. But as you can see, her background, she was a... Uh, you know, a, a dancer. She also worked at a, at various coat check places. You know, I mean, she was, uh, you know, they had very similar backgrounds. Yeah. You know, so it's interesting that uh, Myla, well, I think Myla was a very bitter person. I don't think Myla hated her for who she was, though. I think Myla hated for what, El, what, for what Elvira represented. I think so, too, but I also think it was slightly misguided. And I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, so... 1981, you know, Vampira resurfaced, uh, Milo Nermi, because of the, uh, they wanted to remake the Vampira show, but they were going to call it Fright Night. Yeah, but they wanted to use that character. And so, uh, you know, the idea was to have Vampira come on as the mother of the new Vampira. It was sim- similar things, you know, uh, banter between movies, sexy, you know, sex- same kind of ghoulish, silly sexy jokes. outfits, silly jokes, you know, and puns and things like that. But it was just fraught with problems. And I think mainly because Milo Nurmi probably sucked to work with. I think she was really <laughs> difficult to work with. She was headstrong, stubborn, and very protective of the vampire character and the ownership of the character. As you can see, when she gave the finger to ABC. Yeah. You know, at the time, um, pretty much destroying her career. Um, so Milo Nurmi only worked on the project for a short time. And then uh, she wanted the producers to hire an actress, um, singer actress named Lola Falana, a beautiful woman. If you saw her, she was in. Um, She's in a lot of black exploitation stuff. Yeah, black exploitation stuff in the mid 70s. But, you know, and she wanted her to play Vampire. But the station, well, there are a couple of reasons. One, the station was like, you know, we're, we're casting. And they had 200 people audition. And the director, actually, um, that. Got uh, uh, Cassandra to audition for the role. Saw her at Groundlings, where she was doing this Valley Girl character. Um, uh, Moon Zappa song Valley Girl just come out, so she was doing a character in the same kind of voice, but really sexy. And uh, you know, she talked like you know that Valley Girl. I can't do one, but she talked in that Valley Girl accent that Elvira uses. And the director of uh, you know Fright Night was like, "I want you to do that character." You know, uh, and he's like, "I want you to audition for this role, but you got to do it spooky." And she's like. All right, well, it's not a spooky character, but I guess I could do it. And so she did the character, but kind of spooky, you know, and uh, they were like, this is amazing. And so they're like, you just need to come up with a, a look, a spooky costume. But, get, but you know, they were like, just like Vampira, just do your own thing. But, it's, you know, it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, they showed her a picture and was like, but they like said, this. come up with a spooky costume. And so she's like, uh, all right, I'll, I'll see what I can do. And the, the job is 350 bucks a week. Oh, wow. You know, which is pretty huge if you think about it. I'd like that now. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know, kind of amazing. And so she ended, up, um, she ended up kind of taking her own spin on the character. And so, you know, she beat out 200 people who were auditioning for this role. And uh, so Myla Nurmi was very upset about that. And she didn't like Cassandra Peterson from the get-go. I think mainly because she had someone in mind. I think that as well, but I did I've read a list where she did 
she talked about other Hollywood actresses who could have played Vampira, and she did say Angelina Jolie. Well, that was years later. I know that's years later, but I mean, I think she did have a look in mind for who she wanted, I, and Cassandra Peterson and her big, huge, delightful jugs was not it. And I think also the Valley Girl thing. She, I don't I, think she I, liked I that don't, either. I don't think she liked that at all. So, But what I'm saying is Cassandra Peterson was doing her character. It was the producers who were like, we want to do something based on vampire, make it spooky. And so it was the producers who kind of made this character that Marilyn Nermy ended up hating. Yeah. And so, um, and also uh, Nermy thought, you know, uh, Cassandra Peterson was completely inappropriate as vampire. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, you know, she had to come up with, um, you know, she had to come up with this, this outfit that, uh, that she was going to use. And what she based the outfit on was, um, was uh, based on Sharon Tate in the movie Fearless Vampire Killers. So sexy. Yeah, Awful well, film, but she's fantastic looking in that film. Yeah, no, she's beautiful. She's beautiful in that movie. And I think she was like, I'm, I'm going to make this character, you know, based on, uh, you know, based on, uh, on, on Sharon Tate. And so she like had this like red outfit and she actually worked with, um, what's his name? Robert Perrigan, uh, the, who played, um, he played uh, Jambi the genie in. Uh, oh no way, Jambi! Yeah, um, he was uh, he was John Perrigan, John Perrigan. Um, he was one, also in Groundlings, and her friend uh, Robert Redding. Um, she went to them to bring uh, Elvira to life. So she had the funny, sexy Valley Girl accent. She would do the dark makeup. The beehive style hairdo was inspired by uh, Ronnie Spector. Oh, she was I a lo- huge fan. Yeah, I love it. She was it. like, I want to do that, and so she put this. Um, you know, initially she was trying to go for the Sharon Tate look, but then the producers like, no, black, not red. We need black. So that's when she like got the Ronnie hairstyle, and then she went to John Perrigan and Robert Redding, who um who put together this whole outfit. You know, they wanted something low cut, sexy. Uh, she wanted makeup to be more of like kabuki theater style. I was about makeup. to say, ask about her eyeshadow because back in the Asian babes days, I would used to do different like makeup looks, and sometimes I would like. I did Elvira once, and I remember be- being really crazy because it's the three different colors. I think it's the, the, the pink, eyeshadow. green, and blue, and it like it goes up so high, way past your eyebrows. Like it's nearly into your hairline. That's how high up it goes. <laughs> and I always wondered how she had invented that and why those three very the very eighties colors that she used. Uh, prob- yeah, for yeah, sure. But she's purple too. She's purple. It could be like purple, purple, green, and pink. But it was inspired blue. by Kabuki. It totally like makes sense makeup. now. I like uh, it. The wig inspired by Ronnie Spector. And since it was the 80s, she said they took out some leather, some studs on a belt around the wrists. She was like, it was a combination of a lot of things that were going on at the time. You know, and then uh, she's like, you know, they wanted her to come up because Myla Nermy owned the rights to Vampire. They couldn't use that name anymore. You know, they had to like. Naturally. Yeah, they, they had to come up with you know, a completely different character. So they didn't have the permission. Um, and so uh, she's, so so basically at the time, uh, Myla Nurmi uh, was just, was just really upset by this whole thing. Cause she was like, I didn't want Vampire to be anything but perfect. And I certainly didn't want her to be portrayed as a slut. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, they, um, you know, they, they, Basically, we're having, I think they accentuated the plunging neckline for Elvira because Elvira has like, you know, massive titties. And I think they were accentuating that looks. It's the 80s. Of course. You know, so they're making this 
sexy character. I mean, she, she added her own features to it, you know, um, but they couldn't use the name vampire anymore. And Cassandra Peterson says it was a bummer because, you know, later vampire got all geared up about it. And she's like, but it wasn't even a costume I wanted to do. Yeah, she wanted to be a redhead. She wanted to be a redhead, natural redhead, and go for this red look. But, you know, they wanted a certain... They basically wanted a vampire. But vampire a, a, too. A modern version of vampire with big titties. And so uh, they were like, well, now we got to come up with a different name. And so Elvira, after, like, the whole thing when Myla Nermi stormed off and uh, was like, no, you're not, you're not using this character, she thought they were going to shut down the show. But then the show, the producers were like, well, we'll just come up with a, a new name. Which kind of sucks if you think about it, because they basically screwed Milo Nurmi out of any rights at that point. Yeah, that's and a, that's why. To on. my point, I think she should have been like, "Well, fuck you, keep the name. I'm just gonna, but I take all the licensing and get the royalties." Yeah, but she, you're forgetting that she's so she's obviously Very so protective, protective of, of what she's created. To her, in her mind, she's making art, and then what they're doing and is this is pissing desecrating on it. it. This yeah, is desecrating completely. It. Yeah, so. Um, Peterson, uh, Cassandra Peterson said they were like, they had like a hat with a bunch of different names. And that's and how they, they came up with it. They were trying it. to pick it out. Oh, and she, she was like, she even put in like Cassandra in there. She's like, I'm glad they didn't pick that. <laughs> um, but uh, someone pulled out the name. What about Elvira? And she was like, well, that's a weird name. But the re- I think the reason they ended up going with that or whoever came up with it is probably because of that Oak Ridge Boys song. And people from older people might know the song. They're like a, a terrible country band. Um, from like the late 70s, but the, they sang a song called Elvira. I've never heard this song. Oh, it's terrible. There's a guy, it's almost like a barbershop quartet. Like one guy's like, heart's on fire for Elvira. But she liked it because of Elvis, Elvira. The Elvis, she yeah. loved Elvis. And so, um, yeah, they, they made this character, Elvira. Here, I'm going to play a little clip. Darling, yes, sir, it's little old me, that gal with panache who rakes in the cash. Elvira, mistress of the dark. I really should have said who rakes in the IOUs, but that wouldn't rhyme. Oh, by the way, you know, if any of you rhyming Simons out there have any ideas, you know, like, you know, like the way I always say, that gal on the sofa who ain't no loafer, or, or, uh, that gal with the curves that'll rattle your nerves. Well, just send them in, okay? I mean, who knows? You might get to hear them on the show. <laughs> but try to keep them clean, okay? Now, you know, I have received thousands, maybe even four letters, just like this one, that say, Hey, Macabre is groovy, but think about us sci-fi buffs a little more often. After all, we have feelings, too. Says so right here. Well, to all you sci-fi buffs, I just want to say, tough luck. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I just want to say, you know, I always please the aim why I try to bend over forward for my fans. But they made this character of uh, Elvira, you know, spooky, valley girl, sexy, you know, the, the, the crazy makeup and, um, you know, and, and the leather and, and all this. And so she blew up. I mean, it's also a different time than Vampire was on. The conservative 50s, now you got the 80s, oh, the wow. wild, crazy 80s. You know, it's, I think the time was, was ripe for a character like this. Definitely. You know, and so Elvira, I mean, became huge. I mean, uh, Peterson and KHJ uh, turned Elvira into a brand. 
licensing costumes, comic books, action figures, pinball machines, video games, perfume, and two somewhat successful films, I don't know, feature films. I actually like her. Uh, I like her first film. I we were talking about. I never knew there was a second one, but we were talking about the first film. But but this is what I'm saying. If they would have used Vampira, Myla Nurmi would have had a, had royalties from this. I don't think that's what Myla wanted for Vampira. Though. Well, Elvira's success reopened some old wounds and enraged her <laughs> over the years. I think she. I think she was very upset about it, and uh, bitter. It's bitters. It prompted her to file a ten million dollar. Uh, copyright infringement um, lawsuit against her due to the likeness between Vampira and Elvira. I mean, Nermi obviously wanted to protect her creation from what she considered a very demeaning portrayal, shameless marketing, and she wanted financial compensation due to the copyright infringement. So she launched this $10 million lawsuit. Um, she even tried to appeal to the press, and she did get a couple of write-ups, uh, ran an advertisement for help, but I think at the time, no one really knew who she was, you know? Yeah. Um, so the lawsuit was eventually dismissed on uh, March 31st, 1989. Uh, the Times reported that uh, Nermi's own lawyers actually petitioned to withdraw from the appeal because Nermi wasn't even responding to any attempts to contact her. Well, could that not be, though, because she didn't have like a phone a lot of the time? Marlon Brando would pay her phone bill occasionally. Well, th- that's the thing. I mean, uh, you know, she didn't, it wasn't very uncommon for. Just, uh, to, she would just avoid people in general, but also no one could really contact her because she didn't have a phone or even electricity. I mean, she lived in a garage for, you know, for a few years. Um, the judge of the case concluded that characters were distinct enough to avoid any confusion. It wasn't really a copyright infringement. Also didn't help matters that Nermi had stated that Vampira was a campier and sexier take on Charles Adams' Morticia. If Charles Adams had been alive, do you think he would have sued? Also a knockoff. So, yeah. I mean, it's if she wouldn't have said that, she might have been able to get some money. Um, but I guess, you know, Nermi was very guarded. She obviously was very set in her ways. She was very distrustful, definitely, of, uh, you know, of, uh, of studios and producers and things like that. She was very upset about the decision. When oh, this I happened, bet. when they dismissed the lawsuit. And uh, in a bizarre magazine, she was in an interview in 2005 where they asked her about Elvira, and she said, this is my favorite quote. Boy, has the devil got that bitch. It's the devil in her blood. I actually have that issue <laughs> with, with Bizarre spite, Magazine. <laughs> the spite yeah. in her voice. And so after that court case, Nermi sunk deeper and deeper into poverty. At one point, um, you know, she lived in a garage, and she would never forgive the fact that Peterson was immensely successful, profiting from a knockoff vampire, and uh, while she lang- and while she was languishing in just abject poverty. But you know, Peterson has never publicly badmouthed Myla Nermi. She says, "I'd like her to be friendly with me. I just don't understand why she has such hostility towards me." This reminds me of your podcast. <laughs> You're the vampire. <laughs> And everything else is Elvira. <laughs> yeah, you're from Elvira. Yeah, one of the original podcasts Yeah, that uh, that doesn't really get any, I mean, kind of a cult status. They'll probably do a documentary on, you know, on Sick and Raw. And everyone like, will say that like they listen. And they're like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're one of the innovators, the originals. But there's so many true crime. Like, we're probably the original true crime podcast, I think. Yeah, you probably are. I can't think of Doing anyone Doing murders been in 2006. And still going. And well. still going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, you look at something like Last Podcast on the Left or whatever, <sighs> it's like making Elvira money. 
I'm getting bitter. Now you're making me bitter, Kate Rambo. I do, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I also don't think it's in Cassandra's personality to ever be mean about well, this situation where I think Myla has always had that kind of streak in her. Oh, I think so too. So you like, yeah, I think if you were on the she, wrong I mean, side of Myla. Like, yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, she was a punk. She's just suffer no fools with Completely. her. Completely. You know? um, but, you know, the judge and a lot of other people can see this. Elvira is distinctive in her own way. And, you know, and she developed that character in her own right. Not just, it's, it's more than just a vampire knockoff, sure. Black hair, but I mean, like a totally different hairstyle, different makeup, black dress, yes. But I mean, also, I mean, she's also doing, you know, introducing horror movies and making corny jokes. But while there are similarities in the format of the show and the look of the hosts, those similarities aren't due to Peterson. I would say they're due to the producers. Yeah. But yet, Nermi directs all of her hatred and disdain to Cassandra Peterson. Probably because it's easier to hate Elvira than it is to hate the nameless producers who did this, I would say. I mean, for Nermi, Vampire was a character she devoted decades to. And she suffered for this character, obviously. So it had to have been deeply personal. But yet, for the, in contrast, for, for Peterson, for Cassandra Peterson, Elvira is a character that she puts on that she enjoys doing enjoys playing and she would make a lot of money from it you know she was basically doing drag completely and whenever i think of Elvira as well i definitely associate her with the same kind of like yeah she is like a drag queen she's a, a comedic actor she's and comedic. So, she, so she's yeah. putting on this drag outfit that's her shtick you know and she came up with this but she takes it off and she's cassandra peterson whereas Myla nermi is is vampire. vampire. You know, it's it's a completely different, I guess, attitude towards this char- towards a character. Well, it's like I was saying before. I think Myla considers what she's made because what she made was original too. I mean, yeah, she took elements from other things. But that's what punk is at the end of the day. You take elements from things, you make it your own. She's created something from nothing by herself. Whereas Elvira is a product of the studios, but also a product of herself. I mean, yeah, she came well, up with this Elvira valley girl character, the, the demeanor. Would never have lasted this long. Elvira would never have no, lasted long sure. if it wasn't for Cassandra being talented. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, I've, I've actually interviewed Cassandra Peterson. She's a very cool person. I get that. Com- you know, she yeah. was on that show Lenore and I did, The Obscenesters. And sure, she didn't come dressed as Elvira. She just came, you know. Because you couldn't afford that. That's why. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, yeah, you'd have to pay me a lot of money. I didn't have to pay her anything to come on the show. She came on the show just to hang out. She was hilarious. I remember one of the funniest things she said is we were talking about her daughter. And uh, she's like, so I was like, so is your daughter just like super into Hot Topic and goths <laughs> and all that? And yeah. she's like, no. I was like, the way she's rebelling towards me is to be as straight and normal as possible. She's like, probably the most boring kid I've ever been around. <laughs> <laughs> but she was hilarious, and she was it, and just a, you know, a congenial person. Whereas I think it was a different <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, behavioral type than, uh, than Myla Nermi. Um, but you know, Elvira never took Nermi's slurs personally, whereas Nermi took all of Peterson's actions very personally. And she went to her grave, hating Elvira. Well, Peterson was always respectful towards Nermi. Um, when uh, Cassandra Peterson heard of Nermi's death in 2008, 
She made a generous donation. I've read somewhere upwards around forty to fifty thousand dollars towards uh, Nermi's favorite animal shelter because she heard that she loved animals so much. That's really nice. I think so too. That's you know? really sweet of her. But it, it it sucks that Nermi didn't get to uh, you know merchandise the trademark or trademark vampire and actually you know reap some gains, some profits from it. You know, it's, and she did. I guess later on, um, her name and likeness. She did license some things. I guess a vampire model kit for Atomic Creations. Uh, she did a pre-painted figurine from Bowen Designs. I think I don't know if. I mean, they licensed the character. I don't know who's making the money from it though. That's kind of like the way it is now. So like we were talking about James Dean before, his estate makes five million a year. There are no living relatives of James Dean. Where's this money coming? Where's well, there that are money living, going? We're going to get to that in a second, but there are living relatives of Myla Nurmi. Yeah. So, but, but I'm wondering. I don't know. I just think it's tragic that Vampyra had to live her life the rest of the, the you know, the way it, the way it up, ended up playing out. I think she's to blame for some of that, her, you know, her, her own attitude, her own personality. But, you know, it's also the time. I think she couldn't have done an Elvira-type character, you know, in the 1950s. Obviously, I don't think society was ready for that. She created this character, inspired everybody. I mean, there would not be an Elvira without a Vampira. Well, there wouldn't have been the shock horror hosts yeah. without Vampira. She I mean, she started, started that, it all. She, Yeah. But, you know, much like this podcast. <laughs> you started it all, baby. <laughs> you end up getting very little credit. <laughs> um, so that's a, 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 a very apt analogy. Um, but it, it's unfortunate that uh, she wasn't able to capitalize on her creation the same way Elvira did. You know, the vampire show is way ahead of its time. Um, and, you know, when the world caught up to Vampira, she's probably, you know, it's obvious she was too old to play the part. Yeah. You know, and it, which sucks. And it's sad that it's it's sad that the network, too, didn't negotiate some kind of she just was like, fuck you, like scorched earth and walked away when they should have had some kind of settlement. I don't think or that happens in Hollywood. That's well, not business, is no, it? No, you get screwed. And they're like, all right, well, we'll just name her something else. Elvira. Exactly. Sorry, and that's it's now the Elvira today. show. We'll just change the name. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. But I don't, but I, what I'm trying to stress here is I don't think Elvira is just a, a mere replacement. And she upped the camp and the comedy, did her own spin on this character, gave the world something less like Morticia and more like a supernatural Valley Girl version of a Russ Meyer vixen. If you think about it, Completely. you know, and she's a cultural phenomenon, you know, and still going to this day. I mean, she's like a 70 year old woman, Cassandra Peterson, still going strong. I mean, this year she's celebrating the 40th anniversary of Elvira. She just came out with a memoir called Yours Cruelly. Um, Elvira, Memories of the Mistress of the Dark. Um, she's hosting Elvira's 40th anniversary. Very, very, very scary special on AMC uh, on uh, AMC Shutter. So, I mean, she's doing so much, you know, and it's, it's amazing that she hasn't retired. I read that uh, some funny thing is she's like, you know, every decade, milestone birthday, she's like thinking of retiring this character. But then I think of Jane Fonda, who's like still going to 80. And I'm like, ah, maybe I can keep doing it, you know. But I think the, the plan eventually, you know, she's like, I think, I think eventually she probably will retire the character. Why not? Know? I mean, she's worked, what did you say? She's been working since she was 14. Yeah. I mean, and now she's doing it's much, you know, she probably wants to eat cake and fries whenever the fuck she wants and not have to worry about getting into a skin tight dress anymore. But but that's the thing. I think Elvira can be proud of her legacy with that character along with Vampira. Yeah. You know? So there's a good quote from 
vampire when she was asked if she was proud of her the vampire legacy she stated yes i am it's my child you'd like to feel that your child has succeeded i birthed her i nourished her and i groomed her and i sent her out into the world i'm glad she succeeded in business so before we were talking about Fade Barra, who she may have invented the vamp, a woman that was sexy and seductive and cruel and unkind, but Mela, uh, using her own artistic impression, she created the first real vamp. Not that she had to work very hard to do that because she's beyond beautiful. Vampire mixed humor with high camp. She created the blueprint that, the original. Yeah, that movie yeah. host copied to this very day. We wouldn't have Tales from the Crypt or anything like that. You wouldn't like have that. Elvira. Or Elvira, yeah. it's undoubted. Her influence on horror, goth, music, and fashion, it's immeasurable. She is the unsung proto-punk goddess, and even in her fake casket or her real one, she is just absolutely eternally ahead of her time. I would say proto-punk, proto-goth as well. Yeah. Because no one really did that. But... uh yeah, amazing woman. And I think Elvira, in my opinion, I mean, she played a role in my childhood. I'm much more Definitely team. Definitely in my masturbation theater. I'm much more <laughs> team vampire. But I love both these women and they're total people who I look, I look up to both of them. And I just, they're both icons and they're especially they're horror Halloween icons. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the original Halloween hoes. Yet they are the original Halloween hoes. <laughs> uh, there's a documentary on Vampire called Vampire and Me that came out in 2012. Um, also, there's a, a book by, um, I think she's uh, Myla's like, niece, maybe? I think it's her niece. She found all these letters when uh, Myla died in, that were just in her closet and like stacks of letters that she kept and she turned them into a book. Yeah, Sandra Naimi wrote a book called Glamour Ghoul, The Passions and Pain of the Real Vampire, Myla Nurmi. So definitely check that out. And also uh, Elvira just released this memoir, Yours Cruelly, uh, that came out um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago. And there's some pretty uh, major bombshells dropped in that. Ooh, yeah. One being that uh, she's been a lesbian for two years. She's been in a, a committed relationship with a woman named T, her former trainer. I love how no one years. was shocked. No one was like... I'm not me, really shocked either, actually. Like, yeah, it kind of. I was like, it makes sense. She's always hanging out with gay men. <laughs> well, she said her friends knew, and she also said her sexuality is fluid. You know, she's never thought about just being gay and still attracted to men. But good for her. Relationship with a woman. I'm glad yeah. she's come out now. And, like, good for her. Why not? You don't have to be I, in the closet so. anymore, do you? Yeah, two amazing women there, though. Uh, people, this is episode uh, eight twelve here. Sick and wrong. We got some phone calls. Some spooky. Phone calls spooky. come up next. We're asking for people's spooky tales, and you people are delivering, believe me. Um, so give us a call, 323-522-4032, for some spooktober tales. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hey, guys, it's Stephen again. Just calling from Evan through a miracle of cybernetic processes. Just to say, thanks for creating your Patreon page. I love to kick back and smoke a fat one with my boy Carl Sagan. While we listen to the extra phone calls and stories we get all the time. Anyway, talk soon. Love you. Bye. So we got a few phone calls to get to. Some really spooky... Spooktober 
You've got to say it spooky. You've got to do your Vincent Price. Spooky phone call. <laughs> you sound like you're from the South. I can't do it. Spooky. Anyway, the first one came from uh, Ward Davis. Here's a spooky tale. Oh. Hi, guys. Warwick here. Uh, in response to Kate's call for some spooky stories, I've got one. Um <laughs> Bit of a grim start, as, as my stories often are, but anyway. <laughs> they always um, are. <laughs> your stories are always grim. I know. But this little man has just had the most tough time of it. Yeah, so dark. I bet you he and Mila Nermi probably got along swimmingly. And talking about death constantly. <laughs> so before my son was born, we had a, an unsuccessful pregnancy. The first scans we went to... Um, Found out it was a molar pregnancy. I never even heard of that. Oh, what? Maybe Kate's fake mum can explain it to us. But uh, what? I thought you said he either said a mole pregnancy or a mold pregnancy. I thought he said molar. Maybe he did say a molar pregnancy. So, so she gave birth to a tooth, like a really large one. Oh my god! You know what she gave birth to? What? Tonsil stone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I had to have another visit back there for my wife to get vacuumed out. Jesus, Warwick. Well, like I mean, come start, on. He starts off this grim tale about his wife's miscarriage. Yeah, we've all we've all had a like you know our abortion sucked out of us. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's all a bit traumatic and horrible. But uh, anyway, went on to have a have a baby afterwards, which was was great. So ended well. So that was a story I kind of kept to myself for a while because it was uh, a bit of a tough one. But eventually, I kind of I told my dad about it, and my dad told me that in the uh, in the late 60s, before he had me and my brother, they had a, an unsuccessful pregnancy. Uh, well, my, my mum had a, a stillbirth, so it was quite a lot further on than our, our uh, baby. But um, So she had this stillbirth at home, so it's like a fully formed little kid. My dad called the, uh, the doctors, and the doctor came out. Wait a second, she gave birth at home? Yeah, lots of people still give birth at home. When you get like a doula or something? A doula. Um, yeah, the midwife will come round or people, home birth is a thing, dude. I'm sure it is in the north of England. You guys, do you guys no, even have hospitals? It's a, it's a real hipster thing. They bring out, sometimes you can do a water birth at home. I know like plenty of people who've given birth at home. Don't act like this is a another one of your like smoothie recipes or overnight night that, oats. I'm just saying, I think it's, I understand, but I'm sure people do, but it's like, if given the option, wouldn't you want to have it in a hospital where they can actually deal with any kind of issues? Possibly, but some people just like the the idea of just being at home. You're here and just going for it naturally. Do they make the whole family watch? Yeah. Is that what is that what your parents did? No, my parent. No, I was actually my mom was in labor with me for a week. I went in. My mom went into hospital. I was premature. My mom went into hospital on Valentine's Day. I was like two months early as well, eight weeks. So they'd pumped her full of loads of drugs because I was too, like, they were like, she's too fucking early. She's not coming. But for a week, I was like, let me the fuck out of here. I've just had enough. Ripping out the I was just ripping my mother's vagina to pieces. And eventually, a week after a week of like me being unstoppable, wanting to get out, they but just let you, me be out. Were you a premature baby? Yeah. I was Did you have to be put in an incubator? Too, I was healthy. I was just like really tiny and my dad just said he could hold me in like one hand 
But he was wow. also smoking a cigarette and watching French Connection on the other hand. He watched French Connection in the hospital waiting room for me it's and my movie. younger brother. You know Gene Hackman's never seen it. What? It's a fucking great he's movie. The star of the movie. It's a fucking great movie. I don't know why he's never watched one of his best films. I remember my mom, when she talked pregnancy stories, she'd always be like, Oh, Jeffrey, very difficult. Very difficult. Had to get a cesarean. Oh, no. She's that's a like major an, operation. Well, everyone does C-sections now. Yeah, but it's they try and not do it because you f- giving birth naturally is obviously the best way to go, isn't it? Because your vagina can handle it. But you know, a cesarean, they're cutting through your, like, your I've stomach. He- I've heard in the U.S. that uh, a lot of hospitals do it because they can charge insurance more money. Bastards. Yeah. The situation's and, broken. And then she was like, she'd be like, and she's like, and Stephanie also was a breech birth, had to do a cesarean. Oh, no. <laughs> and she's like, but David, she's like, I had, I was, she was like, it was the easiest one I've had. I was having diarrhea all morning <laughs> and he just slipped right out. That makes sense for <laughs> you and the way you are born with diarrhea shit. Came out the wrong hole. <laughs> yeah. Does make a lot of sense. And late 60s, just a different time, <laughs> dark ages, they actually had this um, this furnace thing, like Freddy Krueger's furnace. It kind of heated the water or something. Um, so the doctor came along, sort of wrapped up the baby in some old newspaper and just threw it in the furnace, burnt it. And that's kind of... Sta- Holy shit! <laughs> oh, fuck! And that's the dark. did it. In your own house as well, you'd be like, this water is lovely and warm today, knowing that you're... Your dead baby has been used as kindling. Wow. I mean, we know that's where our abortions go. They chuck them in the furnace, but you just don't want to see that. I just It's kind of like the, I mean, the doctor's just like, ah, oh, this one's dead. Chuck it in the furnace. <laughs> this doctor has my attitude. I bet he also <laughs> held the baby by the ankle while he did it. Just chucked it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my dad, it was, it took him ages to get over. What a strange thing to do. But uh, anyway, my, um, my parents eventually moved out of that house. They they sold it to my mum's brother, and uh, later on, my 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 mum's brother's wife, so my auntie, she she was telling my parents that, that when they first moved in, she she'd feel a, a tugging on her on her skirt when she was doing the washing up in the kitchen. She, she a few times she felt a pull a tugging on her skirt, and. Um, Betty, <laughs> Betty. <laughs> that freaked me out. That's you. <laughs> See you on a Saturday night. <laughs> and my parents hadn't told them the story of the, the stillborn baby. So my dad said, oh, right, where, where was it pulling you? You know, was it trying the to guide you? Yeah, it was, it was pulling me towards that furnace for some reason. It was, it was weird. So, yeah, a bit of a spooky one. Um... And uh, yeah, I'd just like to finish by welcoming Stu to the gang. He uh, he seems a, a good chap. He was shocked by how nice we are. Um, there's more to us than uh, tranny porn. We're not the WhatsApp group. But anyway, keep smiling, guys. Cheers. <laughs> thank you there, Warwick. Thank I always you. love his story. Yeah, and uh, thank you for giving me a warm welcome to new patrons who joined the Discord. Oh Yeah, he was talking about uh, the uh, Patreon uh, Discord. Yeah. Um, Stu, Stu, new uh, new member, but they're very very welcoming group. The Discord on the Patreon is. Discord. Yeah. yeah. But if you sign up for Patreon, you get a Discord pass. Or 
Discord uh, a link. link. A link. Yeah. yeah, I'm like a Discord pass. You had a pass to go to the Discord. The memes of fire yeah. on the, <laughs> all over there. There are actually good memes. I steal a lot of the memes. Yeah, you dip uh, and dive there. for them. Yeah, but, no, yeah. they're they're pretty good. Uh, thank you, Warwick Davis. God, that was a very unnerving tale. Bitty. <laughs> Bitty. <laughs> that would be that'd be creepy though. Like if uh, if you moved into the home and they're like, yeah, doctor threw a couple babies in the furnace. Would you be freaked out about it? Or would you just be like, eh, who cares? I'd be like, oh, it's a regular Saturday night for me, that. <laughs> That's where they end up, in the furnace. You're like, well, I tend to just abort them before I have to do that. Exactly. If you'd have dealt with it at eight weeks, it would just burn up much faster. Very spooky tale. Here's the next one. Uh, this one comes in from Kev. Hi, Dee. Hi, Kate. It's Kev. Uh, from Slotport. Cheers for that, Kate. Um, yeah, you wanted spooky stories, right? Happened about 25, 30 years ago. Uh, we'd been on the piss, me and my mates, in Stockport. And there's a place called the Middlewood Way, which is a disused railway line that goes between Stockport and Buxton. And Wait a sec. I, I don't think I need a full trans translator here, but he was saying he was on the piss, he was drinking. Yeah. And they're drinking on the rails or like on the a, railroad A tracks. disused railway line between a shithole and a shithole. <laughs> it's a nice walk in the evening at two o'clock in the morning when you're pretty stoned and pretty drunk. Now, it's a disused railway line. There's a story that it is haunted and all that. Anyway, me and me three mates are walking down there and we all saw exactly the same thing. And I can't get them to corroborate the story because they're not here. But we saw a light in the, in the distance and we could hear the sound of a steam train. And this light was getting closer. Well, we just turned around and we fucking legged it back to the car. But even though we were pissed and even though we were a little bit stoned, we know what we saw. And uh, there you go. Uh, we think we saw a ghost train on the Middlewood Way between Stockport and Ghost train. Um, so, yeah, keep it safe, keep it wrong. Have a good one. See you later. He saw a ghost train. Cheers for that, Kev. Yeah. It's like, you know what? You'll hear people talking about like little babies wanting bitty, but I don't think I've ever heard a ghost train story. You know, it's funny. There's a Rick and Morty episode where right. that they parody the Avengers. So Rick always wants to like, you know, he, he's usually, usually the one playing the missions. But Morty's like, I want to do the mission this time. And I guess there's this group of galaxy Avengers. They're like intergalactic Avengers. And Rick hates them. And anyway, one of the guys on the Avengers is a guy that can make ghost trains. And that's so just his, that's his yeah. power. And Rick's just like, it's the most pointless thing, and pointless power anyone has, your stupid goat tra ghost trains. When, um, when like Marvel and DC run out of ideas, <laughs> that's what they're going to do next. They're going to have a guy that can just call a ghost train. Choo-choo! <laughs> Did you ever experience anything like paranormal with friends? No, I, I'm I'm like uh, very much, I love hearing these stories. I want to believe, but I've never experienced anything. Skeptical. I'm, yeah, because I don't believe in any of it. Yeah, you know, me, me neither. I mean, I've, I remember I've, I've told this story before when my mom made me like face the ghost in that uh, courthouse in Mobile, Alabama, and it was just a decal. And I remember being like, because I was, I was really scared when I was a kid. How old are you, though? Uh, I would have been like probably six, maybe. Or yeah, five. that's the age when. I was young. 
Yeah. But then when I saw that it was a decal, I was just like, oh, fuck this shit. <laughs> I don't believe any of this. And so now, I mean, I wouldn't, I would have no qualms about sleeping in any haunted hotel room. I would do it deliberately just because I want to have, well, they always say, because you're so desperate to have a paranormal experience, it's not going to happen. Of course it won't. Yeah, but I would happily go into any haunted place. I don't like haunted dolls, though. There is something that freaks me out about, like, if someone was like, take take this haunted doll into your house, I would politely decline. What are you worried it's going to go like, Betty, Betty. Yes. You know, I, um, a few years ago, I was in Denver with my ex-girlfriend, and we stayed in the Hotel Stanley, which is where Stephen King was inspired to write The Shining. And they say that's one of the most haunted places in America. I would have gotten really stoned oh. and at like 4 a.m. just walked around. We did. It. We did it like 3 a.m. Got super stoned and we're walking around. Nothing. Not even not anything. Yeah. I mean, it was a really cool looking hotel, but just nothing. Nothing happened. And nothing out of the ordinary. I don't think um, ghosts want to come out to stoned people because they're just like, oh, I could deal You're with so these fucking, fucking annoying. idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Kev, uh, about the... Yeah, uh, good to hear the, from you, yeah, Kev. Yeah, the, the ghost train, man. Very spooky. All right, this next story isn't isn't necessarily a spooky tale, but I guess uh, that's subjective. That's entirely subjective, whether or not you find this tale spooky. I think I would. Okay, so sick and wrong. I need a uh, verdict from the court of sick and wrong. What is that noise? Okay, so here's the that, um, that's I have a CSI. New girlfriend, oh. and she likes to get drunk. She, she's great. She she gets drunk all the time. So we went to the bar by. That's a great quality in a new girlfriend, I would say. You know, you're gonna have a lasting relationship when uh, your girlfriend gets drunk all the time. I actually agree with him. No, I'm just saying. I think it's a great quality if in a girlfriend. If you like getting drunk. And he, and they like getting drunk. It's gonna last. It's gonna last because you're last. both gonna be drunk together, having fun. Her house, and we got hammered drunk, and we went back to her house afterwards. And in the middle of the night, I was awoken because she's pissing the bed. <laughs> she's pissing the bed next to me with me in it. So I fucking jump out. You know, I grab some like towels and like shove it under. She she's blacked out. Like whatever. <laughs> You know, I, and I. All right, I'm trying to set the scene here. Was she squatting, like just sitting, like copping a squat on the bed while you're sleeping, just spraying out urine, or was she laying down, just kind of like one leg up, just urine, just spraying out? I think she's just laying down, for, passed out, me, and she's just pissing. Is this deduced from experience? I've never pissed the bed. I've d- I've definitely talked on the outtakes on Patreon before about that one time I pissed my pants, but never pissed the bed. You have though. You've shit the bed. I- I've done both. But, uh, <laughs> it was under duress. It was under oh, duress. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I forgave her. Okay. It, it, you know. I, uh, whatever. It's just. Uh, it is what it is. And then here's the thing. Like a couple weeks later, we're back at the same bar. We're getting drunk, and we go back to her. I'm surprised they haven't been 86 from this bar. This bar probably loves them. They both love getting hammered. Why would you 86 them? I, I bet you they. I bet you they cause trouble. Uh, Rabble rousers. Putting their kids through college is what these two are doing. Would you have? Uh, let's say you you got a new new boyfriend, and he pisses all over the bed. How many? You said you'd let it go once, right? 
piss is a bit different to shit. So shit, you get one ch- one chance. Just one chance with the shit. One shot. And one shot to shoot your shit. And it would have to be because you're sick. Okay. Not because you're drunk. You have to be like, I'm so sick that I shit the bed. That you get like diarrhea. Yeah, and then, but even then, that would be terrible to deal with, <laughs> and I would uh, definitely not not drop it from conversation for quite some time. Would you bring it up with friends and family? Of course, at inappropriate <laughs> moments at Christmas dinner, it would always be a talking point. So okay, so how many uh, times do you get to pee the bed? Pee in the bed is a bit different because, like, yeah, if especially I'm saying this as a drinker, as somebody who likes to also get blackout drunk, I've never pissed the bed, mind. Although I did piss my pants once. But it's just, you know, it's piss. It's not as offensive. And especially when you've been drinking. You ruin your sheets, though. No, because when you've been drinking and you piss, it's literally just just booze in it at that point. I guess. I had a, uh, a roommate in college who was a phantom peer. Right, like so he he'd get up and go to like and just the pee wherever. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I, I used to stories. say, and Wackily said the same thing. Is he was both of our roommates? I used to say like, I don't even care if you're sleepwalking or whatever. If you come into my room and you're peeing, I'm gonna punch you in the face. I don't even give a shit. That's fair enough. I think so too. And he said that too. He was just like, that is completely fair, and I fully understand it. But he had a girlfriend that's like, I don't know, very hippie, hippie girl, and I think she put up with it. She put up with it quite, you know, for a while. But, I mean, sure enough, he pissed on all of her stuff. And then occasionally she'd wake up just to stream of urine, just shooting her and, you know, like just on her. Did he piss on a Wackily's Xbox? <laughs> that was someone else, a real asshole that did that. I don't know what ever happened to that guy, but fuck that dude. Yeah, fuck um, him. I think he's yeah, a heap. But how many times would you tolerate getting pissed on, on your person? Again, he's a phantom pisser. So. And not sexually, not like you're asking for it. Like No, yeah, he's a phantom pisser, so there's not really like much you could do about that. But I'm sure... Punch I'm, in the face. Punch in the face, but I'm definitely sure there's more times where you'd be annoyed of it than other times. Like, I, I had the crankies on the, uh, the outtakes this week because I had PMT. I was getting my period. So if I woke up and some fucking dude, when I'm getting my period and I'm, I've got the case of the crankies is doing it, He's getting punched in the dick. <laughs> but at other points of the month, I'd be just like, it's cool, it's fine. You know, he can't help himself. Because, you know, you can say that about the majority of men. They just can't help themselves. I think she reached a breaking point. And it, ended the, they, it led to the demise of the relationship. Phantom pissing. Now, this time, I'm the guy that's fucking blacked out, not her. So we go jump in her bed. And then apparently in the middle of the night, I have no, I have no memory of this happening. But in the middle of the night, supposedly, I get out of bed and I take like 10 steps towards the bathroom and I start pissing all over the floor. <laughs> and I'm just fucking pissing. And then I go back to bed. And, okay, so here's the thing. We're, we're arguing about this. In her mind, what she did is no big deal. She says... Oh, I was asleep. I pissed the bed with you in it. It's no big deal. But what I did is a huge travesty. In her mind, she's like, oh, in the back of your head, like subconsciously, you took your dick out and you're pissing all over the floor like as a fuck you, fuck you, fuck your house type of thing. And, uh, uh, dude, 
I think what she did is way worse than what I did. I mean, I took 10 steps towards the fucking door. I yeah, pissed he tried. on the tile floor. I didn't even piss on the carpet. <gasps> That's great. Uh, who's who's wrong here, guys? Who's wrong? I think what she, uh, I think she's way way wrong and not me. What do you think? Um, I agree with him. I'm on his side. I completely agree with him. Yeah. I mean, if you ask me, what he made an attempt, an honest attempt, a college try to get to the bathroom and to go uh, to, to, to pee in the bathroom where you're supposed to pee. He didn't make it, but yet he peed on the tile floor. So yeah. what? So you go take a towel, mop, you know, and, and mop it up. Take a mop, mop it up. She peed in a bed, which is way harder to clean up. Way harder. And like sometimes mattresses can be ruined when you like the residual effects. Any water me, meets I know. a mattress. Yeah, of course you'd know. I think, and plus, like, they're just as drunk as each of us, so there's no, like, oh, yours is worse because. I don't understand. She said, she's saying that he's doing it out of an act of, like, revenge. Like, an act of vengeance. Oh, right, like he'd been thinking and pondering Well, it, because I... she peed, and then now he's, No, like... an act of vengeance would be that if he just thoroughly did what your phantom pisser friend did and just waited for her to fall asleep, climbed on top of her, and then just pissed on her. And then pretended my, my he was asleep. My friend was blacked out when that, when that happened. Yeah, but I mean, he could have pretended. That's an act of revenge. My phantom friend. <laughs> Your phantom friend. <laughs> it's a ghost train. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, I, I think in this in this scenario, you had, a, a, you had your girlfriend who peed all over the bed. You both had to sleep in it. You know, now you got to clean your mattress, clean your sheets, do all this stuff, make your bed again. Versus you, who made an effort to go to the bathroom, you got up and uh, you peed all over the tiles. So you, yeah, it sucks. I mean, there's still urine that's not in the the, the receptacle for urine, the toilet. Yeah. Have <laughs> you toilet. ever noticed this about cats? Okay, so you can have like a tiled floor or a wood floor, and then maybe you've got some carpet or a rug nearby. Your cat, when it wants to vomit, will never. Pick the area that's easy to clean. That's so annoying. So this is a lot like this. Yeah, but but you're but the thing is though, she's blaming him. She should be praising for him for this. for being for like making an attempt for making an attempt and saying thank you for doing it on the tile floor, which is so easy to clean up. And guess what? Hey, I probably needed to clean the floor anyways. So you've actually done me a favor. Furthermore, though, ammonia's cleaning agent. Too. Furthermore, he's in a strange environment. He doesn't know exactly where yeah. the bathroom is. And he's drunk. And he's drunk. So, I mean, he's like blacked out drunk to the point where he, and he's in a strange house. He made an attempt. He probably didn't know where the bathroom was. He, I think he did very well to get to the tile I think floor. so, too. And it's better than pissing in that bedroom again, which probably does smell like not only their drinking B.O., um, their B.O. and sex B.O., and then they're just adding more piss into this mix. I think you're in the right, sir. I, I am also I, in sir's I, right. Yeah, I. if it was up to me, I would say you're not guilty. She's guilty. I do like um, the cut of his girlfriend's jib, though. <laughs> Just to argue about it? You know, yep. what, you know what's funny? I admire it's, her, too. It's making me think of uh, Big Jeff. Um, Big Jeff, who's been on the show before in the past. You guys might remember a long time ago. He's a, a friend of mine. He used to be a bouncer at the Gold Club when I used to work there, but known him for years. Anyway... In guys, must have been the mid aughts. He hooked up to this girl like from the bar, wasted. Like we used to DJ at the Golden Bull, and he hooked up with this chick, pretty hot actually. And I've gone back to his house. They fuck. And he said in like the middle of the night, he heard some noise, and he like looks up, 
And she was like squatting on his coffee table. Just squatting, just piss, spraying all over the coffee table. And I was like, what'd you do? He's like, at first I was like, hey, hey. And she just wasn't stopping. So she just picked up a pillow and just just threw it and nailed her. And she fell off the coffee table and just kind of woke up on the ground. Oh, she was uh, she was sleep pissing. <laughs> oh, I thought she was doing it in an act of vengeance. Oh no no no, she yeah. was like sleep pissing, and he, he just like knocked her off with the with a pillow. And he's like, I was like, so did you pick her up? And he's like, no, I went back to bed. I've always wanted to be a sleepwalker. I've never sleptwalked to my knowledge because when when I'm fucking asleep, I am the world's deepest sleeper. So I would be very surprised if I was to suddenly start getting out of bed. Well, you're not supposed to wake them up. They say that, but why not? Why can't I wake a sleepwalker? Don't give me rules. I want to, I want to kill them by I waking them up. I thought it can up. cause like an aneurysm or something. It causes something. Yeah, in the like, brain. Yeah, because you're in like, you know, uh, REM sleep, and all of a sudden you're like conscious, and I think it can cause your... But that doesn't can stop, cause an issue. Right, yeah, but if you're asleep in bed having REM sleep and then you hear a loud noise outside and you wake up instantly we don't get aneurysms so what's the difference if you're downstairs eating an ashtray I I, I just think I've always heard and maybe it's an old wives tale I'm not quite sure I but, think it's an old wives tale but yeah I don't know I mean I don't know if this girl who got hit by the pillow <laughs> fell into her piss and passed out if that caused her any kind of lasting damage I'd like to think not. It's but. definitely a, a, a thing with drunks. You know, uh, one of my well. friends uh, who, used to listen to this, who used to listen to this show, so I'm not going to mention his name, but he was another one that uh, was a drunk sleepwalker. He was actually sleepwalk without being drunk. But he would, uh, I remember when I lived in Treasure Island, he would open up your door and climb into bed thinking it was his bed. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> it wasn't. It was terrifying. <laughs> would he like would he like snuggle into you as well? No, he'd just get in your bed, like walk in and just get in and just sleep. So it never happened to me, but it happened to a couple of my roommates. So what what would they do? Would they get out of bed and They'd be like, like What the fuck, dude? I met one of my roommates couldn't wake him up and just went and slept on the couch. I'd yeah, I'd just snuggle in with him. What if he had a boner? Well, th- you might have a boner too. I don't know. I think it's it'd be Treasure weird. Island, baby. Anything <laughs> I think it'd be go. weird. Um, yeah, she's she's in the wrong there, buddy. I think you should uh, cut this one off. Ghoster, ghost trainer. Absolutely not. Just you pull two. a ghost train on her. I think these two are perfect for each other, and you should ride the ghost train to a really happy relationship, which is where they're going. I think you should one up this and take a shit in her bed. That's what I think <laughs> should happen. Let's just let's see. Let's put the cards out on the table. Don't join D. Simon's um, school. Some brinksmanship here. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see where we can take this. All right. She wants no. to see revenge. <laughs> Give it to her. <laughs> Call in with your spooky your spooky tales here. 323-522-4032. Uh, people, if you're a fan of the show and you want to support the vampira of podcrafting here. Yeah. I think we are. We're the original podcraft. And people have been listening to us for a long time. Been on the air for 15 years. Um, show us a little love. Just go to patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today. There's various levels. You know, We're not asking for a lot of money from people. Um, but... Um, you know, for $5, which is $5 a month, uh, you get an extra story and, and phone calls and outtakes. It's basically you get the extra show. Um, this week we did uh, some spooky calls from Glasgow Greg. Yeah. He was talking about a dead baby ghost. And uh, Kate Rambo then uh, discussed her spooky obsession with banjo strings. <laughs> I, it was spooky, very weird, very unnerving. Um, yeah, it was, was unexpected. 
Uh, but that's that's just for five dollars a month. Uh, you get the uh, Patreon news story. Actually, this this week was a good story. Uh, this Texas kamikaze drove a truck filled with propane into his pregnant ex girlfriend's double wide trailer. It's a film. Yeah, hijinks followed. It it's was, hilarious. It was what amazing. Yeah, yeah, you got to check that out. And then for a few bucks more, you get our sick and wrong news segment where we kind of do our news of the week roundup. Uh, I think this week we covered Korea is actually banning the eating of dog meat. We're yeah, just considering now. it. They're considering yeah, they're just, it. They they're haven't done it. They're thinking about it. They're thinking you know, about it. Yeah, maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But maybe is it time to stop eating? <laughs> maybe man's stop best eating friend. border collies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then also we discussed the Facebook outage that happened last Monday. Um, that actually uh, it, it resulted in an increase of like ten percent uh, traffic increase to Pornhub, and then it also spurred Kate Rambo to have a bit of an internet existential <laughs> crisis. <laughs> Yeah, you did. You were like, you were very curious about the way the series of tubes can communicate data with each other. It was, you were so unhelpful to me in that moment. She basically was uh, like the ICP. Magnets. What do they do? How do they do it? It was brilliant. It was a brilliant moment. And then also, uh, then we do a bonus episode called Sick and Wrong Overkill. And this week, as I mentioned before, uh, Kate delves into the spooky curse of James Dean. Yeah, I've always wanted to cover that. So it's Very really spooky. Dee, before we end the show, can you ask me one question? Oh, God damn it. I am not going to ask you your favorite song. <laughs> ask I, I refuse. Me, I steadfastly refuse. People, you can email Kay Rambo and ask her a favorite song. How, Dee, how, can, how can I email that? <laughs> not doing it. Oh, not falling for this. I hate you so much. Um, Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. People also, we have a T public store with some sick and wrong merch. Sickandwrongpodcast.com slash shop. Just click on the picture of the Pope. I'm not sure if there's a sale going on, but go check it out. We have a lot of merch. Makes a good uh, a Halloween stocking stuffer. I don't know if you have those for Halloween, but. Um, we do now. Finally, here, sick and wrong song of the week. I'm going to let Kay Rambo uh, introduce this one. Yeah, because I own this. It's probably the, the rarest. Uh, seven inch it's I own. Really cool seven inch tone. Yeah, so we were talking about Vampire being in punk bands before, and she did. She she put out some punk singles in the eighties. This from is it eighty one? But another coincidence with Elvira, who was also in Italian punk bands. Yeah, they're both they're very similar people. No wonder they hate each so other. So there's another legend to this as well. That um, so on the on the bass, the whoever the bassist was in this forgettable band. Um, put down Lux Interior's real name. So for years, the je- you know the myth was spun that Lux played bass on this song. Lux couldn't play a fucking lick. <laughs> so this band is called Satan's Cheerleaders, and uh, the song here is called Genocide Utopia. It's great. And Kate Rambo actually, she showed me the seven inch. It's got a swastika on it. The evil eye. No wonder. Eye. No wonder. <laughs> you, it's your treasured possession. One of my, yeah, it's definitely one of my most treasured seven inches. I think I've listened to it once and then I carefully put it away and filed it. Uh, it's really cool. So we're going to end the show here with Myla Nermi singing in the band Satan's Cheerleaders um, with a song called Genocide Utopia. Uh, people, I hope you're keeping it spooky. We want you to share your spooky tales with us. Uh, we'll be back next week with a very spooktacular episode, <laughs> episode 813. Uh, until then, take a sleep. Genocide is the
Utopia for the Vatican Antichrist and all of his helpers, wicked men in high places. Where in the Bible does it tell me not to speak out against the Antichrist, against wicked presidents? Elvira, mistress of the dark. Long time no see. But now the busty babe in black is back. I am so happy to see you. I can just kiss you. Still, huh? Maybe not. I'd ask you what you've been doing with yourself, but I'm afraid I already know the answer. Anyway, it's great to be back on the old couch doing what I do best. And as soon as the show's over, that's just what I'm going to do. Now, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Elvira? That guy is looking at me like I'm a Happy Meal or something. Okay, okay, that's the first thing. But the second thing is bad movies. And tonight I'm changing all that. Tonight, I've got a really bad movie. What smell? Why, it's our feature. The classic cult clunker from the Lone Star State. Texas Chainsaw Massacre.